Amen. Please be seated. And the children, you're dismissed. Off you go. And uh, as they go uh, out to the rear, let me pray for us as we prepare to hear from God's Word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You have spoken, that we can know You and be known by You because of Your work in Your Son. And so, Lord, even as we pray, Lord, we are mindful that sometimes prayer is hard. Making those connections between what we see and what we pray. So, Lord, would You help us now to have confidence in our prayer lives, knowing that we can and will be heard in accordance with Your will. Orient us now towards Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning to you. It's a pleasure to be with you again this morning as we round out our final uh, week in this series, the short series on prayer. And uh, you heard uh, Nick talk about those different sermons. I'll talk about those in just a moment again. But I want to start us this morning as we start the sermon on uh, unanswered prayer with a quote. That quote is from Benjamin Franklin, of all people. Who, who said, I should say, work as if you were to live a hundred years and pray as if you were to die tomorrow. Work as if you were to live a hundred years and pray as if you were going to die tomorrow. Now, here's what's odd about that quote. Benjamin Franklin was a deist. So he did not believe, in other words, that God was active in the world. Why on earth is he talking about prayer? Well, I think what that does is it reveals to us that most everybody in the world values prayer. Shows us that everybody values prayer. Deists apparently value prayer. Uh, we know that uh, in Islam, prayer is one of the five pillars. Prayer is one of the bedrocks of Judaism, as it is in every other religion that you can think of. Even the spiritual but not religious crowd, they value prayer. You can think about nightly news when some tragedy occurs and they sign off by saying that our thoughts and prayers are with the victims that are involved. Now it's true that occasionally we do hear voices from people that say that uh, you know, prayer is nothing more than psychological, uh, psychological placebo. But by and large, most all people, and certainly all religions, value prayer. And yet, as Christians, uh, that while we see prayer in a unique fashion, that we see it as a privilege, yet we still struggle to pray. We value it, yet we still struggle to pray. And I think one of the reasons we struggle to pray is because there's often no discernible connection between our prayers and what happens in our lives. We have difficulty making that connection. Sometimes it seems as though we're just praying or talking to the wind. Or sometimes we have difficulty praying because those prayers seem to go unanswered. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So-called unanswered prayers. And so here's my goal for us today. What I want to do is take the final three, or the last three weeks of the sermons when we're talking about prayer, kind of wrap them up inside the uh, prayer series today as it relates to unanswered prayer, so that we would learn to pray not out of guilt, but out of gain. Not out of guilt, but out of gain. So many times, sermons or books or seminars on prayer oftentimes guilt us into praying. And what winds up happening is, is maybe our behavior changes for one or two or three or four days, but eventually it stops. And yet I think if we were to learn to, to understand prayer as a way in which we gain God, see God, enjoy God, that will more discernibly thrust us in our prayer lives and have us to be more persistent in our prayer lives. And so in light of that, let me just review 
what we've talked about so far over the course of the last month. First off, we talked about prayer as answering God. And it's important that we recognize that principle. We're trying to understand prayer as reorienting us. We oftentimes think of prayer as trying to get God's attention so that He will do something in our lives. But instead, we need to understand prayer in an opposite way. We need to recognize that God is up to the spread of His glory from eternity past. That's what He's doing. As we've been sleeping, that's what He's been up to. And so we, our lives, our circumstances, are answering Him and His work for His glory. So that needs to be our orientation, that it's us entering into His story, not trying to get Him to enter necessarily into ours. That's answering God. And then we looked at private prayer. We looked at how uh, Jesus told us to go into secret and to pray, and that the God who is in secret will reward us. Remember, we thought about that reward is gaining God. So if we're going in secret where nobody's seeing us and we're praying, therefore the reward is, is we get to meet with God and we're going to Him for Him. And we also observed how Jesus was regularly pulling away for private prayer. When things would come up, when crowds would come in, when the death of John the Baptist, all these various things, Jesus would regularly pull away to meet with God to still His soul. And so if Jesus is regularly pulling away for times of private prayer, how much more do we need to pull away for private prayer? And then last week we thought about persistent prayer. And we saw the parable of the widow who persistently pleaded her just cause to the unjust judge who finally granted her request because she kept coming. And so there Jesus told us that if an unjust judge will grant justice to a persistent widow, how much more will the God of justice speedily answer the prayers for justice by His elect? We considered the need to remember those promises of God to fuel us to keep on praying, to not be tireless in praying, that knowing Christ will someday return. And so, because of that promise, may that fuel us to continue praying. But even as we do all of these things, if we were to sort of understand prayer in this way, walk out prayer in this way, we still sometimes struggle, don't we? Wondering if God is answering us. If we're seeing Him as seeing prayers, answering God, if we're uh, pursuing Him in private prayer for Him, if we're being persistent in those prayers, claiming the promises of God, we still struggle to know if those prayers are getting answered. And so, are they? Is there such thing as unanswered prayer? Does God hear us? Does God see us? Well, what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to go through and answer questions from the Bible regarding unanswered prayer. Uh, if you're if you're visiting us this morning, you should know that it's our practice here at Restoration Church to preach expositionally. In other words, take portions of the Bible and work right through them. But this morning we're going to be preaching a bit topically. And so the first question that I want to answer in this notion of unanswered prayer is, does God hear us? Does God see us? And the clear answer from the Bible is yes. Yes, indeed, he does. Uh, I'm going to give four pieces of evidence for the fact that He does, in fact, hear the prayers of His people. And the first is, is that God tells us from His Word that He hears us. He tells us that He sees us. I'll give you just four verses to show that. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. This is Jesus saying, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. We also learn in Jeremiah 29, verse 12. Then you will call upon Me, and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. In Psalm 145, verse 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. 
And maybe most convincingly, in First uh, John chapter 5, verse 14, this is the confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. So we could stop right there, and I think that would be enough. But I think we also see, secondly, the reason why we know that He hears us, that his, the prayers of His people, is because the mere presence of the command to pray. Why else would God command us to pray if, in fact, He could not hear us? Or wasn't willing to hear us, or wasn't able to hear us, or see us. It's just the presence of the call to prayer shows us that he does, in fact, hear the prayers of his people. And thirdly, I think another piece of evidence would be the fact that if we were to turn to any page in this Bible and just sort of stick our finger on it anywhere, within a page or two, we could find someone praying and someone being heard and being answered by God. I think that would be the third evidence. There's prayers of God's people all over the place where God is hearing them and responding to them. My favorite uh, instance of this is the story of Hagar, where Sarah is being rude to Hagar and she is kicked out, sent away. An angel of the Lord visits her and Hagar knows that God sees her. And so she says in Genesis chapter 16, verse 13, after responding to the work of God, answering, she says, you are God of seeing. She's reminded in her affliction that God does see her. But we also could give dozens of examples. We could think about David that prayed. The Lord evidently hears his prayer, responds to them. We can think of Peter and Paul and Mary, just to name a few in the New Testament, that pray um, and are heard by God. But fourthly, now we're moving outside of Scripture. Fourthly, I think many of us could stand up and testify to praying to God and being heard. Many of us could just stand right up and say that we, I, I want, I stay at pray, I stood up to, I, or I prayed last night just to praise God for who He was, and it was discernible to me that He and did hear that prayer. And let me just pause right here for a moment and just say, we tend to think of prayer as only asking God for things. That is one small element of prayer. That is not all of prayer. That's one small element. But again, many of us could bear testimony to the fact where we have requested things from God and they have come about. Maybe not in the way or the time in which we would have preferred, but we could all testify, many of us could testify, that God does hear our prayers. So there's just four pieces of evidence that God does indeed see us. He does indeed hear us. But some of you may respond and say, well, why doesn't He seem to answer me? I realize you might say that He does say that He hears us. I realize that maybe there have been people in the Bible where we can see that happen. I realize that there may be people around me that may have that experience. But I seem to have difficulty believing that. Well, the first thing I would say to you, friend, is don't be so confident that the Lord hasn't heard your prayer. It's very possible that He did answer your prayer or will answer your prayer. He just didn't answer it in the way that you liked. His answer could have been no. His answer could have been not yet. Or his answer could have been yes, but it came to you in some way in which you didn't even recognize. But regardless, though, I do want to affirm that it is possible to have not been heard and answered by God in prayer. Because, secondly, your prayers are hindered. So the first thing we did see is God is able and does hear the prayer of his people. But there are times that the scriptures teach us that our prayers are hindered. And so you ask, what do you mean by that, Nathan? Well, it's not something that's talked much about in the church, but it is not, friends, uncommon for the Bible to teach us that our prayers can be hindered for a number of reasons. I'm going to give you four. 
So first off, your prayers may not be answered because first off, you ask wrongly. You ask wrongly. James chapter four, verses one to four says this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And so here, friends, James says you don't have because you haven't even bothered to ask. But even if you do ask, he teaches us there, you have asked. Sometimes we ask wrongly, which is to say he clarifies that by saying by wanting to spend it on our own passions. Out of love for the world or out of love for ourselves. The Lord doesn't hear those prayers because we're thinking about ourselves. And so what we have here, what's going on here is there seems to be in these instances in prayers like this, there's no interest in the glory of Christ and the good of his people in the church. There doesn't seem to be any discernible interest there. The Lord doesn't answer because you want to kind of use Him sort of like a sugar daddy to get whatever it is you want with little interest in what God desires. And so that's one reason why our prayers may not be answered. We ask for things with wrong motives. Our prayers are motivated by own personal interests and with no discernible interest to Christ and His people. But secondly, another reason why our prayers may not be answered is because husbands in the room... You're not honoring your wives. Husbands are not honoring your wives. Listen to 1 Peter 3.7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And so husbands, if you are throwing around your leadership in the home uh, with no honoring of your wife, no valuing her, no serving her, no loving her and listening to her, then this apparently has some sort of mysterious disconnect in your prayer life. It will hinder you from being heard by the Lord, says uh, the Apostle Peter here in 1 Peter 3. And I think the reason for this is quite simple. If you do not honor the wife that you have seen and made a covenant with, if you do not honor her, then why should God honor your prayers, the God of whom you have not seen face to face. And so if a man won't give his wife the honor of being heard, then why should we expect God to hear him? Yes, it is true that God is a God of grace, that God is a God of mercy, but we need to understand, friends, marriage is the number one relationship on planet Earth that is designed to picture God's love to his church. In other words, marriage is very serious. Very serious. It is designed in order to picture God and His love for His people. And so if a husband is lying about God in not honoring his wife, lying about the Gospel, then God will not honor the husband's prayer life by listening to him. Prayers are possibly unanswered because, as we've seen, you don't ask or you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions or husbands, you're not honoring your wives. Third reason why prayers may not be answered is because you're unrepentant in sin. Because you're unrepentant, you're not turning away from sin. 
We see this in the teaching on restorative church discipline in Matthew chapter 18, 1 Corinthians 5, Galatians 6. We can mention others. Those who have been excommunicated from Jesus' church. They are said to be treated as Gentiles and tax collectors, which is to say they're to be treated as though they are outsiders. Outsiders. Outside the family of God. We see that these people that are unrepentant in their sin, according to 1 Corinthians 11 and the teaching on the Lord's Supper, that they're not welcome at the table of the Lord's Supper. And so if they're outside the family of God, understood to be as such, then why would the prayers of those people be heard by the God of whom we are supposed to be reconciled to? That is to say, this is an important note, don't miss this, the prayer of repentance. That prayer will always be heard. We'll come to that more later. That prayer is always heard. But Psalm 66 verse 18 also teaches us that if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And so why would we expect God to hear and answer a prayer of someone unrepentant then in their sin? All of those promises I mentioned earlier, Matthew 7 and Jeremiah 29, all those promises I listed earlier that were tied to praying in accordance with the will of God or in the name of God or for the glory of God. Therefore, if one is regarding or cherishing a sin, that is to say, not turning away from it, but gladly leaning into that sin, those promises then do not apply since the person praying is not interested in the most foundational part of God as revealed in the Scriptures. They're not interested in His glory. Therefore, they're not interested in his commands about that sin that they're cherishing. But again, I want to emphasize this is about regarding or cherishing or enjoying sin, therefore not repenting of sin. The reality is you all need to know this. Every Christian sins. I am a big old sinner. Just talk to my wife. She'll tell you plenty of them. Or talk to me. I'll share some with you. The difference is, though, friends, is Christians turn from their sins. We repent of our sins and we entrust Jesus to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so if there are those then that are not turning from their sins, unwilling to turn from a sin uh, that, it, that, that is rebellion to God, but instead they're cherishing it, seeking to live within it, then we have no reason, no promise that their prayers will be heard and then answered. Save that prayer, that important prayer of Lord Jesus, forgive me, I repent. Of my sin. Which brings me to that fourth one that's related category of reasons why the Lord may not hear and answer our prayers is because you're not a follower of Christ. Not a Christian. You've not entrusted yourself to Jesus as Lord and Master and King. You're not daily crucifying your wants and your desires. Instead, you're marked by doubt and suspicion of the gospel in Jesus Christ. And you entrust or follow another God. Yourself could be another one. James chapter 1, verse 6 to 8 says this, But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And so friends, if your life is marked by doubt or unbelief in the Gospel, and the God of the Gospel, then therefore you maintain confidence in yourself or some other false God, and therefore you're not reconciled to God. Therefore, why would God hear you? Now let me say this really clearly. All Christians 
We struggle with doubt in some way, shape, or form. But the issue here, though, is are you marked by doubt? Which is to say that I do not follow Jesus. I have strong suspicions of Him, and I don't follow Jesus. I don't take the name Jesus, and I won't follow Him. If you doubt the reign and rule of Christ, if you doubt the sufficiency of His atoning sacrifice to bring you back to God, then naturally we should doubt that you will be heard or answered by God in prayer. So I think this would be a good time, guys, for us to sort of pause for a moment and think about how prayer works in the first place. See, our sin is rebellion against God because it says something about God that's not true. It's rebellion against Him because it doesn't reflect on who He is. So it separates us from Him. And so God, in His infinite kindness, sends His Son to rescue us out of that sin. He sends His Son to make way for us. And so for those that trust in the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ for sin and His resurrection, we then are cleared of our sin. We, we take His righteousness as He takes our sin on the cross. It's this great exchange, this gracious exchange wherein God in Christ takes our sin on the cross and pays for it and He gives us His righteousness by faith. And we are given a new life as is evidenced in the resurrection. And so Jesus takes that sin. We take his righteousness. The spirit of God then takes up residence with those of us that believe. And he reconciles us back to God. And so when we pray, we pray by the power of the spirit, through the work of the son, to the throne of the father. That's how prayer works. Praise by the power of the spirit, through the atoning work of Christ, to the throne of God. And so our faith in the gospel is the way our prayers are heard. And because of this, because of the merits, our trust in the merits of Christ, nothing of ourselves in him, we can be heard. And so then, therefore, friend, if you have not repented and trusted in Christ alone, this obviously will disrupt how prayer works. But also, I should say, if you claim Christ, but you are regarding cherishing sin, unwilling to turn away from sin, then likewise, that short circuits the way that prayer works. And so why should God or how would God hear your prayers if you're unwilling to turn away from the sins that Jesus died to pay for and bring you to God? And even if he were to do that in some mysterious way, why would he bless something in your will if you are unwilling to live in obedience to his revealed will? And so here's the invitation to those of us that may be in those four categories. Those of us that ask wrongly. Those of us who are husbands that are not honoring our wives. Those of us that are unrepentant in sin, taking the name of Christ. Or those of us that just don't trust Christ at all. Here's the invitation to you. Trust Jesus. Repent of sin. Trust Jesus. There's one prayer, as I said earlier, that you can be confident will be heard. God will hear the prayer of repentance. So if you come to Him to say, I, I can tell you that you, the Word gives us promises that you'll, this prayer will be heard. If you come to Him and say, Lord God Almighty, have mercy on me, a sinner. I have sinned against You time and time and time again. As it relates to this or that, or all of my life has not been trusting You. God, have mercy on me. God, forgive me. I plead the merits of Christ. I trust in the atoning sacrifice for Christ of Christ for sin for me. That's the only thing I'm looking for. Not my life. Not my good works. Jesus, have mercy on me, God. Forgive me, God. He'll hear that prayer. And He will cleanse you of your sin. 
And you will be reconciled to God because of the gracious atoning work of Christ. Not even because of the work of your prayer. That prayer of repentance is not even a work in and of itself. Don't understand it that way. It's a gracious gift from God that you even desire to pray that. And he hears it. He's glad to receive it and cleanse you from your sin, reconcile to you to God so that you would be heard. But friend, if you don't turn, if you don't turn away from sin, you remain disconnected from God. Therefore, you're not reconciled. Therefore, we have no promise that you can or will be heard. Jesus tells us in John chapter 9, verse 31, we know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, God listens to him. So I've said there may be at least four reasons why the Lord hasn't answered your prayer in ways that you've requested. You don't ask. You ask wrongly. Your husband that doesn't honor your wife. You're unrepentant in your sin or related. You've not trusted in Christ. Therefore, that sin is keeping you away from God. There's another reason as to why the Lord may not have answered your prayer in the way that you like. And that is, thirdly, the Lord desires a better gift. The Lord desires a better gift. Now, this one's different, right? We need to understand what I just said in that, that second point uh, as to why we're not being heard. Those are matters of sin. This is one is not a matter of sin. This is a good one. It didn't feel good, but it's a good one. All right. In this case, God does hear. He does answer. But He doesn't answer in the way that we might prefer, which might tempt us to conclude that He did not hear us or respond to us. But that's not true. God sometimes will give us answers to prayer that are go beyond. He gives us a better gift. Classic example of this, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7-9. to It's the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. This is what he says. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. There's the prayer. Three times. He's prayed this three times. But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of My weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon Me. There's the better gift. Weaknesses come power in Christ grows, that's the better gift. Now, I think that if we were praying that same thing, if we were in that same instance, and we had a thorn, whether this is a literal thorn or a figurative thorn, whichever, and we had it, and we prayed, God, please take this away. God, please take this away. God, please take this away. When the Lord gave us the gift of that thorn so that, and that weakness so that we would more discernibly know and enjoy the power of Christ, we would be tempted to conclude He didn't hear us we'd be tempted to conclude that he did not respond to those three prayers. But the reality is, he did. He did hear those prayers. And he gave us a gift. Stay with me. A gift of a thorn. A gift of weakness. So that he might discernibly know and enjoy the power of Christ so that people would see that. And so friends, I'm not sure that we often have the same value system as Paul, as Scripture here. Even as Christians, we value the material here and now more than the spiritual now and later. And as a result, we can falsely accuse God of not answering our prayers. And so we miss the greater gift. Give thanks to Him. And of course, friends, we could also 
uh, be reminded of another unanswered prayer wherein somebody got a better gift. How could we forget Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? What did He pray? He pleaded with God, His Father, please take this cup away from me. The cup of God's wrath. Please take it away from Him. And of course, the Father did not remove that cup. But instead, Christ suffered the cross. And because He suffered on the cross, atoning for the sins of many, He not only receives that, He not only atones for that sin, He also receives a great gift, the crown of glory. He receives something better. And so the Jesus that we pray to, even He knows that it's what it's like to pray and not receive the answer that we're looking for, but instead we suffer and get something better. Jesus knows that. I could mention more, but I think we get the point. Uh, sometimes our prayers are not answered because we're not repenting and believing on Christ. Sometimes the Lord wants to give us something better. But some of you are saying, but Nathan, what if I'm praying for something good? What about that? What if I'm praying for somebody to be saved? For justice to be served for some injustice or injustice? What about that? Why aren't those prayers answered? Well, I think we can know this much. We know that God does not make mistakes. We can be sure of that. We can know, as I've said before, that God will always hear the prayer of, uh, of repentance when done in faith. We can be sure that God will always answer the desire that Christ be magnified. We can be sure that God will always answer the desire for the Gospel to spread to the nation. But what about those prayers though, Nathan? For those of us that prayed good things for specific things that don't seem to be answered. Well, as I said, I, I know that God makes no mistakes. God has... Uh, revealed so much to us about who He is and what He's doing in the world. But friends, we would be foolish to think that we would be able to know every answer to every question about every individual person or circumstance. We ought not and cannot have such expectations. That we would know every answer to every specific situation. And guys, I want you to know, as a pastor, I'm not removed from this struggle myself. There's been people that I've prayed for that would know Jesus that died and didn't know Him. There's people that I've prayed for or things that I've prayed for that, in, that justice would come or con some injustice and it didn't. I struggle with this too. But I want you to know in those moments, I, I, I think about three things that I would commend to you when we're praying for uh, good things that don't get answered. Three things I think about in those times that I'm really struggling. When I'm praying for something good and it doesn't seem to give me an answer. Three things I call to mind. The first thing that I remember in those moments is that God's after my faith. He's after my faith. He's after me trusting Him. He's doing things in my life so that I would trust Him. It's easy to trust Him when everything is going just the way that I want it. It's easy to trust Him when He answers just the way I want, when I want Him. The question is, my faith is most evidently revealed when things don't go those ways. What do I think about Him then? My faith is revealed when things don't go how I want them. God is after my faith. The second thing I remember in those moments is as I remember, as I said a moment ago, the God that I pray to is not removed from a world where the Father doesn't seem to answer uh, prayers of otherwise good things. That's the kind of God I pray to. It is so comforting to me to know that Jesus Christ, the one of whom I pray to, knows exactly what this is like. He's not removed from it. 
This is so comforting to me. Jesus was tempted in every way, the Bible says, as I am, and yet was without sin. So I take that to mean that Jesus has to know what it's like to pray for something we all know is good and not see it come about. I think we would all conclude, right, that Jesus not being murdered on a cross would be a really good thing to pray for, to not see happen. And yet, the Lord allowed it to happen. So it's encouraging to me to know that the God I pray to is familiar with such things. And and sort of in this same vein, I often in these moments go to 2 Corinthians 4.8. If I've met with you regarding some difficult thing, you've heard me share this verse with you. It is so comforting to me. So helpful to me. 2 Corinthians 4.8, here we have the Apostle Paul is explaining all these painful trials that he went through. Now think about who's writing this, guys. This is the guy that wrote 13 books of the New Testament. This is an apostle of Jesus Christ appointed by Jesus Himself that saw amazing, miraculous things happen. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 4.8. He says that there were times when he was perplexed, but not driven to despair. There were times the Apostle Paul said, I don't get this. This doesn't seem to add up. I'm sure we, he would say to us, there were times he prayed that this or that would or wouldn't happen. And it did. And pain and suffering came as a result. And there were times in which Paul, apparently, according to 2 Corinthians 4, he's looking at it going, I don't really get this. So he was perplexed. But he was not driven to despair. Which means his faith persevered. He trusted God when he was perplexed. Psalms, right, is full of prayers like this. Where they're looking at things happening around them. And they're having trouble. But at the end, they come back to the end and say, I don't know all about this. This bothers me. I don't get this, God. What's going on here? But, but I trust You, Lord. I'm perplexed by this, but I trust You. Which leads me to the third thing that I say to myself when I'm going through these difficult things where I'm praying for good things and they don't seem to be happening the way that I like. As I rehearse Romans 8.32. If I could encourage you to memorize three or four verses, this would be in that list. Romans 8.32 which teaches us that if God did not spare His only Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not with Him graciously give us all things? See what Paul's doing there? He's saying in essence, like I don't really get all that's going on here, but if God wouldn't spare His only Son, I can trust Him in this. He's willing to give me His only Son. I can trust Him in this. I'm not driven. I'm I'm perplexed. I'm having a hard time. But whatever this is, I don't know what it is. I don't understand. I don't understand why God would sort of do things or not do things in this way. I've prayed that the good thing would come. It didn't come. I'm perplexed by it all. But the one thing I know it can't be is that God does not love me and He's not for me. It's not that He's not powerful enough. He sent His only Son. So I can trust Him in this. I can be perplexed, but I'm going to believe through this. And so that's where I want to leave us this morning. I want to leave us remembering the kind of God that we prayed to. God has revealed Himself to us not as some distant God, some God that's out of touch. He's revealed Himself to us in a personal way. He's revealed Himself to us as a Father. As a Father. And not just a father, but as a loving father who at the cost of his son made a way for us to commune with him. That's what he's like. That's what he's like. 
prayer, guys, is personal and it connects us to our Father that loved us enough to send His Son so that we might be with Him in prayer. In other words, beloved, in the midst of what we perceive to be good prayers that go unanswered, we have to remember that those prayers are offered to a Father that has clearly proven that He loves us. That He's for us. And so when we pray, remember, that's who you're praying to. To a good Father that's for you. And so when we, when we get requests uh, from God, we, or in, and we, we request things of Him, and He sort of responds in silence, we don't discernibly see or hear or feel Him in those instances. Listen, don't lose sight of the fact that you're praying to your heavenly Father that's yours. It's proven He's for you. Jesus asks the question, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. He asks the question, He says, which one of you, when a father or when a son asks his father for a piece of bread, will give him a stone? Which one of you, if your son were to ask you for a fish, would give him a serpent? And then Jesus says something so helpful. He says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will God give good things to those that ask Him in faith? Isn't that beautiful that Jesus says that to us and reminds us of that? I'm thinking about this today. This afternoon, uh, my family hops on a plane to Glacier National Park. This place is amazing. You go look at pictures of it. It's amazing. And if I was being honest, one of the reasons I want to go is because I want to go. But one of the other reasons I want to go is because I have two little boys that stay cooped up in a 14th floor apartment a lot. And they like to be outside. And I can't wait to see their faces when they look at those mountains, when they see those animals, hopefully not a bear up close, but hopefully they see these animals and the looks on their faces. And they will enjoy I want to give that to my sons. And I'm evil apart from Christ. And so if I want to give such a good gift to my sons, how much more will the God that loved me enough to give me His only Son want to give me all good things? So much comfort in that. Why can't I trust Him in those times? So I think what we learn from that, folks, is to not focus so much on what the Lord hasn't answered as much as we should focus on what He has answered and the grace that leads to forgiveness and reconciliation to Him and life everlasting. Don't focus so much on those things that we have not had answered, but focus on the things of which we know He's answered. Those great truths of reconciliation to God and life everlasting with Him. Focus there. Focus more on His fatherly grace, His mercy, His love to you, His children. And let those things inform the darkness of the other things. Don't get those out of order. We're going to be perplexed. but We won't be driven to despair when we remember the love of our Father who give good gifts to those that ask Him. And most notably, one of the, most, the greatest gifts of all, He gives us the privilege of prayer, of being heard by God. And so let's back off trying to manipulate God in order to get Him to do what we want Him to do. Let's take a more humble posture and request that our lives seek to answer Him in His work of magnifying His glory. May we seek Him in private. May we rest in His love amidst a world of chaos. May we persist in the work of prayer, trusting and believing His promises. And know that any prayer that we think goes unanswered may be unanswered because we need to get right with our Father and ask for forgiveness. And know that we'll receive that forgiveness. And it may be something that He has better. 
But no matter what, we know that it's not because He doesn't love us. He's for us. He's made that much clear. And so, while we are humble in our pursuit of His glory, we can also be confident. Confident in the pursuit of Him in prayer. Go to Him in boldness. Guys, you don't need timidity. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. My kids have zero timidity going back in my room knowing I'm back there. They just bust right in, even when I don't want them to sometimes. But they do that because they know their Father loves them. We don't need to have the same kind of... We, we need to have no timidity either. We just go straight to the Father, boldly appealing to the throne of grace. And so I leave you then with this amazing thought from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 22-25. to 25. It says there, Jesus, the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests, remember they're going on behalf of the people to God. The former priests were many in number because they prevented, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. In other words, they die. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, as a result of this, this will blow your mind. He, Jesus, is able to save the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him. Since He, what's this word? Always lives to make intercession for them. Did y'all catch that? This would be a moment if we were not so stiff, middle class, evangelical white people that sit on our hands in services where we would break up and say hallelujah, right? Jesus Christ, the one true and living God, stands up and says I intercede for you on to the Father on your behalf. Jesus Christ enters, uh, He intercedes the Father for you. That is an amazing thought that should cause us to wonder and love Jesus. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father right now, hearing the praises of the angels. He lives to make intercessions, to make requests, to pray to His, fellow, to his Heavenly Father on our behalf. And by the way, I'm pretty sure his prayers are going to get answered. They always do because he prays for the right things all the time. He knows what we need. They will be answered. And so our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, not only died so that we might pray and be heard, he also lives to pray and make intercessions to the Father on our behalf. And those prayers will not go unanswered. What a Savior we have in Jesus. What a precious Lord and Savior we have in Jesus Christ as Lord. What has He been praying for us? I wonder. What did He pray for us as we came in this morning? What has He been praying for you individually, Christian? What has that been? Rejoice and know that Christ has ascended to the Father to intercede, to pray for us. And so, beloved, prayer is the preeminent privilege of the redeemed. We get to meet with God and be heard. And so go boldly to the throne of grace. Know that your Father loves you and receives you and hears you. Ask and know that you can and will be received. Seek and know that you can and will be found. Knock and know that you can and will be answered. And when you pray, believing the promises of God, be patient. Remember your Father he loves you and He's for you. And He will not withhold anything good from you. Trust that. Believe that. And enjoy Him in prayer. Let's do that now. Oh, Heavenly Father, we...
We wonder at what Jesus has interceded for this church this morning. We are distracted by a thousand things, Father. We, we think that words from human lips to human ears are more important than the reality of the Son of God interceding on our behalf. For Your glory and our good. And so God, teach us to not lose heart in prayer. Teach us, God, to trust You when good prayers go unanswered. Teach us, God, for those that are that need to, to teach us to repent of sin and to trust Jesus and be reconciled to You. Teach us to pray. And Lord, let us be reminded that prayer is answering You and enjoying You and seeking to take part in what You're doing and advancing Your glory around the world. May we be a church that prays and does not lose hope when our prayers go unanswered. And we trust You that the greatest prayer of all, our forgiveness, has been answered in the second greatest prayer of all, that the return of Christ for all prayers were done in faith will be finally answered. May those ideas orient us and give us hope. We pray in the only name that makes our prayers heard, Jesus Christ, the great high priest who lives forever. We pray in His name.